This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, August 23, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The weird patchwork that make up state-level alcohol laws is still influenced by prohibition, the failed experiment that will mark its 100th anniversary in short order. As we approach this unhappy anniversary, Jeremy Horpendahl, professor of economics at the University of Central Arkansas, describes the particularly ugly bootleggers and Baptist coalitions that form when counties are able to make the final decision about wet versus dry. Following the end of Prohibition, uh, a lot of states were slow to make it easy for people to access alcohol, um, In at the very least in Kentucky and I assume some other states. If you go to a pharmacy, you can buy liquor, which is this long-standing uh, deal that pharmacies had worked out with their states saying, hey, we were able to sell alcohol during Under, Prohibition right. uh, as medicine or with medicines dissolved in the alcohol. We don't – we're not going to give that up at, uh, now that Prohibition has ended. And so you walk into a pharmacy in Kentucky and other states and you can buy liquor. Right. So uh, I'm from a dry county. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. It's, it's, it's no longer a dry county. It's the county I grew up in was uh, no longer a dry county. Um, but it seems weird. And this had a this place had a college campus uh, right there. So you would think, wow, of all the pressures that would lead a county to say, we're gonna we're gonna let you have beer and wine and liquor served at a restaurant. Oh my goodness, that would have been amazing for my parents when I was in high school. But uh, that should have happened decades ago. That should have happened in in the forties or the fifties. Right. So it, why why is it why is it the way it is today? So it's different by state, but Arkansas, where, which is what I know the most about, did what a number of states did right after prohibition was they essentially let every county vote on it. So, uh, you know, my work is on still counties are voting on this today, but immediately after prohibition, uh, they would let counties vote on it as long as they collected enough signatures. Uh, what happened in Arkansas right away is they set that threshold so high for signatures that no county could vote on it. That was what happened right away. Uh, about two years later, the state legislature changed the rule. They lowered it from, I believe it was 35% of the registered voters at first. They lowered it down to 15%. And then about the half the counties immediately held elections. They could they could bypass that, that threshold. Um, and kind of for many counties, once they went dry, they never went back. Um, even as demographics changed, even as uh, things changed socially. But uh, it was pretty easy to get on the ballot. So it would be on the ballot in a lot of counties pretty regularly. Uh, one thing interesting happened, thing that happened in Arkansas in 1993 is they raised the threshold back up to 38%. You had to gather signatures with 38%. Now, let's just get a sense yeah. of what that what that is. 38% of registered voters in a right. county would have right. to sign a petition in order to vote on something. Right. And, and presumably if you're opposed to it and the the position where the county is, is the position you prefer, you wouldn't sign the petition in the first place. Right. So that's a very high threshold. So about half the states have some sort of ballot initiative or referenda. Typically the, the signature threshold is something like uh, five to 10% of the last vote for say governor. Um, here we're talking about 38% of the registered voters, which is which is much higher. Not only is the number higher, but the denominator 
of the of the ratio is different, uh, meaning that, uh, for example, the county that I live in, Faulkner County, is the largest dry county in uh, in the country. Uh, there are about seventy thousand registered voters. Uh, that would mean you need to gather uh, about uh, twenty seven thousand signatures. Uh, that's more than that's almost sixty percent of the vote for the last presidential election. That about 47,000 people vote in total. So you've already got 60% of people on board if it gets on the ballot. So getting on the ballot in, in these issues, at least in Arkansas, is kind of the major challenge. Uh, in other states, that's not true. So uh, Mississippi and Tennessee also have initiative for local dry county regulations. Uh, but there, it's either 5 or 10%. Uh, so it's a more normal signature threshold. So the degree to which it is a threat that a county might uh, vote to go wet, who are the who are the people who are the players who will line up on the other side of it? Right, there's two major groups. Uh, one is what you would probably expect uh, is that religious groups, churches, are the ones that are opposing a county going wet. Uh, so they're going to be one of the main forces at least publicly arguing against this happening and trying to either not get people to sign the petition, which ends up being the most important part of it, or if it does get on the ballot to oppose it. Um, in every case where it gets on the ballot, though, in Arkansas, it passes. So not getting on the ballot is what churches try to do. The second group, though, which is a little, you got to dig a little deeper to understand this, but it's also intuitive, is liquor stores in bordering wet counties also oppose legalization of alcohol sales. Uh, right across the border. It's going to not only cut into their business, but Arkansas also only allows you to have uh, one liquor store in the entire state. So each each individual can only own one liquor store, which means that uh, for a family that owns one of these county line liquor stores, uh, that's that's their whole business. That's their whole life. And if the neighboring county goes wet, that's uh, that's that's the end for them. There's no reason for there to be a liquor store right in that border. There's no one living there. Right, because people from multiple counties will go there to, to get their uh, packages to take back home. Right, and including for, uh, we also have private clubs in dry counties, so you can have a private club where you have on-premise sales. Uh, they too have to go, you can't have distributors coming to, the, to a dry county, so they too have to go to the county line liquor stores. If you have a private club, such as a country club or some restaurants can get this, the this status. Yeah, <laughs> um, they, they too have to go to the county line liquor store to buy at retail. So what does this mean for uh, presumably there's some lost revenue that the state is is uh, missing out on just because some people don't want the elements that alcohol will bring to their county? Right. And that was one of the initial uh, reasons for uh, ending prohibition is that there was a lot of lost revenue for the federal government and state governments. Uh, with the issues now with particular counties being dry, it's really that county is missing out on a lot of tax revenue. And that's often what the uh, the pro-wet side argues is that we're losing out on a lot of tax revenue uh, to the neighboring county that could be going here, and people are buying it anyway. So, so what we're not really stopping anyone. Um, plus, we're we're creating a budget issue for our own county. So yeah, they can't be prohibited from having alcohol in their right. homes. Right. Uh, there's no prohibition on consumption. <laughs> so only to the extent it's really annoying might some people not get it, but but generally people are getting it anyway. So after Colorado and Washington and since then other states have uh, legalized cannabis for recreational purposes, 
Colorado said to the counties, you may make the decision about the option of whether or not you're going to allow this product to be sold in your county. So at the bottom line, yeah, maybe it's difficult to get more uh, liquor or get access to uh, beer and wine at a restaurant or that sort of thing. Um, but what's wrong with having that uh, control at the l most local possible level? In some sense, I think it's not an issue, right? We want to have people having a say in what's going on the, in their community. Um, but because you've, you've imposed what you might call anti-democratic barriers to people having a say, uh, making it very difficult for people to even vote on it, I think that's where the concern arises, especially when there are economic interests that do oppose legalization and that are uh, fighting to keep these restrictions in place. Um, it, it goes beyond what for most, uh, you know, allowing democratic control of some sort in any jurisdiction, this, this goes well beyond that. Um, so it's not it's not simply like if you want to raise the sales tax, I mean, that's very easy to get down the ballot. But if you want to make a county wet, that's that's very difficult. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of alternative ways of of determining whether or not a county would be wet or dry. And I'm thinking, well, if you're the person or you're the family that profits so much from this, let them pay for that privilege. Right. Like to the extent that there's a there's a a license and you, there can only be one liquor store in a certain geographic area, then why not let somebody outbid them for that privilege uh, year after year? Would that have? I mean, presumably that would raise more revenue for the for the locality. Uh, potentially, it could raise more revenue. Uh, they kind of do that now in a, in a strange way, which is you you pay to fight these these uh, wet county initiatives, but you pay it to, to the newspaper uh, for advertisements. So you do pay for it, but in uh, but out, not out of state <laughs> consultants to come in right. and help you fight it. Yeah, you don't, you don't pay for it. Uh, you know, you pay the lawyers to, to challenge signatures. You don't pay for it. Uh, and the money doesn't go to the, to the county or the state government. Maybe that's an improvement. <laughs> uh, Maybe, so, yes. <laughs> so uh, how many states currently have, you know, a, a wide number, a broad number of counties that just you, you can't get a drink with dinner. Uh, Texas still has a few, uh, but mainly it's it's Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi, Alabama. Uh, those are the main ones that have a number of of, uh, of dry counties. I mean, every state has some restrictions, but as far as having a, a law where no sales are allowed, those are the main states that still have them. Tennessee and Kentucky, of course, being the leading producers <laughs> of uh, spirits, spirits in yes. the United States. Yeah, I saw one, there's one estimate that about 18 million Americans live in a jurisdiction that you would consider dry by by some reasonable definition. So 18 million out of 330 million Americans. I think this is this is really interesting because, as I said earlier, a lot of issues are like this. So this is the framework we call bootleggers and Baptists that Bruce Yandel first talked about in 1983. And in Regulation Magazine. In Regulation Magazine, yes, uh, including as well as following up with a book published with his grandson, Adam C. Smith, uh, published, I believe, by Cato Press as well uh, in 2016, where they elaborated on, the, on this idea uh, that you would have these coalitions, which he called bootleggers and Baptists. Uh, I think this is a really good example of it uh, because in this case, it actually the Baptists are not metaphorical. They actually are Baptists. And the bootleggers are not, they're not, Bootleggers in the sense that it's illegal, but they are uh, alcohol sellers. So, They're so profiteers. It's, it's almost a literal bootleggers and Baptists. Uh, I think that makes it a really interesting example to see. But it, I think it is part of a very widespread phenomenon where you need to have both the moral 
justification for a law as well as some financial interest having a stake. In fact, if you kind of drill down into it, it's hard to find an issue where that's not the case. Now, sometimes one side might be more important than the other, um, but that's very much often the case. And it often makes for what uh, some call strange bedfellows. Um, this comes up in a lot of issues. In fact, there was a, a minister in Arkansas who was who was fighting a statewide legalization effort. And he said very openly, he said, you know, I've, I've joined with uh, casinos in Mississippi to fight legalizing gambling in Arkansas. I've fought with... Uh, I've fought with feminists to fight pornography, uh, and I, I'll join with anyone uh, as long as I can get my outcome, even if it seems like normally I wouldn't associate with them at all. And so sometimes it's done secretly. Sometimes just they're very open that we're going to form a coalition with whoever benefits us at the moment. And on the next issue, we probably will disagree with them very much. Uh, I think it was either Bruce Yandel or maybe it was Michael Munger or somebody else who's, who essentially put out the challenge. He says, pick up your newspaper and look at stories, and in any given story about an issue related to public policy, you should, you should be able to identify who is making the money and who's in it for the moral, the moral reasons of trying to stop or make other things happen. Right. And I think the interesting aside to this relating to Arkansas is that uh, in some cases, when there's a, a signature drive to get this on the ballot, uh, there's no county line liquor store, either because it's kind of a, a landlocked in sense county where it's, it's bordered by other dry counties, uh, or just there didn't happen to be one at the border. Um, those ones always get on the ballot and they always pass. So if there's no financial interest opposing alcohol legalization, such as a county line liquor store, it's going to succeed, even though in those cases, the churches try to raise money. They just don't have as much money as the liquor stores. At least they don't have as much you know, cash flow. Um, most of their money is tied up in, in, other, in other things uh, related to the church. So when there's not that financial interest, uh, they lose. That when, there's, when the coalition doesn't have both pieces, at least in the, in the cases that I looked at in Arkansas, uh, it's, they don't have a chance. Jeremy Horpendahl is a scholar at the Arkansas Center for Research and Economics. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and when you think about it, ask Alexa to play the Cato Daily Podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 